It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Good to have you back. Hour number two on Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. Brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. I've already raised my cocktail game. Raise it higher with Remy Martin. All of their fabulous choices. You see Remy Martin when you go to the Raiders Tavern and Grill. They got the Remy Martin room in the back. They got the Remy Martin bar in the back. You'll see it when you walk in. Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence, a proud partner of our show here on Raider Nation Radio. And I tell you, I I just love this partnership with Remy. We're going to be doing a lot with them this year, especially with remotes and being out and about town. There is breaking news in Summerlin. You hear the thunder in the background. Thunder is crashing. It might rain. I'm never here when it rains. I was out of town when it rains. So we could have a little bit of rain in Vegas. And you know how that ends up being some quick flooding. So be careful out there if some rain is hitting you there. Damon Bruce. In a moment, he's scheduled to join us. He's got a show coming up in the Bay Area. He's going to join us here on everything that's happening up there up north with the A's, which I don't like the A's coming to Vegas. I am not pro A's in Vegas for the obvious reasons. They screwed over the Raiders. They had a lot to do with the Raiders leaving. Raiders weren't perfect either. I'm not saying the Raiders were golden in Oakland, but the Raiders got here first, and all of a sudden the A's are interested as the Warriors and the Raiders are gone. No, 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 no. I don't support that deal. I know the deal. Damon Bruce also knows it. He's going to join us here in a few moments. The big story, as we talked about it with Jacob Hester, is college football, which is important. You know, the Mountain West having their media days here in Vegas – And on a national level, no one cares. I care because I want to see UNLV football do well. I'm really good friends with Jay Norvell, the head coach of Nevada. I'd like to see them do well. But come on, how do you expect the Mountain West to get any traction if Oklahoma and Texas are going to go to the SEC? (laughs) It's going to be the SEC in a Power 16 team conference, and they're going to have the best product by far, the best players. They're going to have the best lineup of games. And I think everybody else is going to be hurt by it. We'll be talking about that more and more because it's such an important topic. And really the big breaking news story today is a big one. Roger Goodell letting it be known that teams could forfeit games. NFL teams can forfeit games if it turns out they were part of a COVID outbreak. So that's huge. And why is Roger Goodell saying that now? Look at your calendar here. Look at your calendar here, which is July 22nd. Why would he say that? Because Roger Goodell is concerned about the COVID outbreaks that are happening now. The league has set up a series of incentives as of today. Goodell wrote more than 75% of NFL players were at least partially vaccinated and more than half of the league's teams have player vaccination rates above 80%. So that's a, that's a strong sign. That is a good thing. But not a lot of players are ha- you know, not every player is happy about it. I think most players understand that they need to go out and get vaccinated because they're going to help their team. But now they're being obviously told that if they don't get vaccinated and their team is affected, that everyone on the team will lose paychecks. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you're the reason why your team forfeits a game and all your teammates don't get a paycheck? 
You know how, some of the, how big some of these paychecks are? The league can't – the league at this point in time, they're only going to cancel a game and postpone a game if there's a major outbreak. But there were a few outbreaks last year, and they were able to reschedule those games. That doesn't mean they'll be able to do it. A forfeit will be called in 2021 if the following circumstances occur. Number one, a game is postponed by government authorities or medical experts or at the discretion of Roger Goodell. That could be a lot of things, health concerns and outbreak. Number two, the league can't find a suitable date to reschedule within the 18-week framework. And then finally, the original postponement was caused by an outbreak among unvaccinated players on one team. That's an interesting one, because what happens if a player is vaccinated and gets COVID? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if it would spread. But an unvaccinated player getting COVID, and could that spread amongst the unvaccinated players where even vaccinated players could get the outbreak? Very technical. I say like every rational human being, get, get the vaccine, take care of your business, protect other people, care about the other people who lost their lives, was extremely sick, and really suffered during this. And if you don't want to do it and you're not going to do it in the NFL, you're going to be ostracized. People are going to point at you saying, you're not vaccinated. We know why. And it might not come back to haunt you, but you're going to have to get tested every day. You're going to have travel restrictions and protocol restrictions. It's going to be a really big deal going forward, everybody. And I think everybody understands that. Everybody should understand it because we've been fighting through this pandemic now going on two years and it's had a huge effect on sports. All right, let's move on to my longtime friend, Damon Bruce, 95-7 the game in San Francisco. is kind enough to join us. I wanted to have him on because Fred Warner signed that monster contract. He's the most expensive linebacker, off-ball linebacker, all of a sudden in NFL history. Damon Bruce joins us. Damon, let's start with that. How good of a player is Fred Warner since now he's the highest-paid player at that position? His comparables are all your favorite middle linebacking badasses. He can move front, back, left, right, sideline to sideline. He is everywhere he needs to be to make a play happen. It's one of the easiest contracts the 49ers ever had to put together. It's a no-brainer. Everything about him says he's the right one. A third-round pick who has not missed a game, started every game, and I mean health makes you twice as valuable as the next guy in the NFL these days. And he is just a, a monster player who puts his helmet on the ball every single time he can. He's good in space. He can do it all, JT. He really is versatile. And it's D'Amico Ryans, the new defensive coordinator of the 49ers, who obviously had a, a heck of a run as a, a linebacker himself in his playing days. He's got a real nice weapon to go forward with. Incredible move there and a great, great player. Obviously, the rest of the country is going to be hearing more and more about him. What is the vibe on your show about Jimmy G versus Trey Lance since the last time we talked and now everybody in the Bay Area is going to get a really good look as camp starts of Trey Lance and a guy I think is going to be parked on the bench for a while as long as Jimmy G stays healthy. It'll be so interesting to watch if Kyle Shanahan who I think absolutely wants to see Jimmy Garoppolo win the job and earn the job and keep the job for an entire successful year, if that's the way it's mm-hmm. supposed to be. It'll be really interesting to see if he doesn't try to install, like let's just call it the Taysom Hill package, for the lack of a better word, to use this guy as a change-up behind Jimmy Garoppolo because he clearly is a skill set that is you know, 
very unique to him that Jimmy does not have. And training camp is is going to be an incredible, incredible thing to watch between these two players because we all know what's going on here. I mean, there's, there's no lying and there's no mystery as to what is happening. The minute we see Trey Young's trajectory meet Jimmy Garoppolo's downward trajectory, mm-hmm. we're looking at a quarterback change. Unless, of course, the wins have been so stacked up on each other that there there doesn't need to be right now. I don't think this is going to be rushed unless there's a reason to rush it. Um, very important start to the year for Garoppolo. I mean, you don't want to come out one and three stumbling, and that, that could change things and prioritize what the Niners are really looking for. So it, it's going to be fascinating, but I do think it will be a mystery-free, easy to see why it's happening in real time transition. Easy to see if it's not happening or easy to see that it will. Damon Bruce joins us. Let's move on to you You had a front row seat to a lot of great basketball with the Warriors when they were leaving Oakland. Five NBA finals, winning three, LeBron James coming in. You saw epic basketball and some historic moments with Steph and especially Durant and Clay. After watching Giannis and what he did to win the NBA Finals, how did you absorb that looking at his greatness and one of the greatest NBA Finals MVP performances we've ever seen in this league? Put a bow on that for me and how you compare it to some of the great performances of your lifetime. He was unbelievable, and obviously, you know, he he talked about how he didn't take any shots to join a super team or anything like that he's stuck in a i mean it, it i love you milwaukee you're a great city to call it possibly one of the nba's least desirable cities is i think the truth and for this guy to stay through thick and thin look at the draft picks that they made after they drafted him it wasn't like help was coming anytime soon he stayed patient and it paid off spectacularly i mean i, I i've I've rarely seen an athlete be this good this early in their career and with so many improvable areas in their game still. I mean, what happens if he gets better? How much better can he get? It, it's, it's an incredible starting point. And at his age and what he's already accomplished, it's amazing. You add the charm. I tell you, it's almost an indictment on NBA media, JT, that mm-hmm. we don't know him better. Like, whatever, if you had 400 LeBron James stories in the can, you should have gone with 398 of them and run two more about Giannis. It's a, it's a shame that it took him bringing the Larry O'Brien trophy back to Milwaukee to really get the exposure that he's worthy of as a player and certainly worthy of as a charming personality and just a, an A-plus young man. I mean, is there anything about this guy's demeanor or anything he said that, that you don't like. I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty naive to think anyone is perfect and beyond criticism, but everything he does, everything he says as it relates to the league, his own development, his teammates, his coaches, his loyalty to the city, I admire him greatly. And in an era of super teams, he didn't need one, and you got to respect it. Damon Bruce, 95-7 the game in San Francisco. So, I'm very jaded on this topic because I was behind the scenes. I saw the A's sign that 10-year lease behind the Raiders as they were negotiating. 
You know how toxic the Raiders situation as they left. They come to Vegas. It's the perfect storm. The franchise goes up a billion dollars. They're here. And now they look over their shoulder and they see the A's want to come to a market that gets to 114 degrees in the summer where the Oakland A's now don't have the Warriors in the East Bay or the Raiders as they were negotiating behind the Raiders' back and trying to get leverage on that deal. What is the update like? What is it like now covering the story, knowing that Dave Cavill is playing Las Vegas against the East Bay in a market with billions upon billions of social social network media money out there, and they can't make it work in Oakland? Here's the thing. They need to build a ballpark. The plan that they've got in Oakland is a ballpark in the middle of Abu Dhabi, which they would also <laughs> like to build around the ballpark. And it's, it's for a team that can't get a ballpark done, JT, how are you going to also get Abu Dhabi done? I just don't understand, man. And, and for them to say that it is waterfront, ballpark, and Abu Dhabi or bust, but we'll move to Henderson and play in a AAA ballpark, what I think we have are less than honest negotiations going on back and forth. They said it's an event horizon. The city needs to vote yes on this. Well, the city voted yes on something, but the A's say, well, that's not the thing we wanted you to vote yes on. So really, it's a no vote, and we see no path forward. The only thing I'm sure of, and the only thing you're sure of too, my friend, because you know how this works, is that the A's are going to be playing in Oakland for the next decade. They're not going anywhere. I don't know if Vegas is going to throw the money at them to lure them. Look, Vegas is an indoor town. Baseball is an outdoor sport. I, yes. I, I know that the, the, the AAA team there draws very, very well, but I don't know if, if that's anything more than a local price point that makes that happen or a real love of sitting outside in 117 degrees. I, I, I don't see how. The, the, if the A's wanted to get to Vegas – my God, they should have had the guts to get there a long time ago. It would be just like them to be the fourth team to the Vegas trough <laughs> if, 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 if that's really what happens because the hockey's there, the Raiders are there, and it looks like they're building a stadium for an NBA team that probably is going to be able to get its act together before the Raiders ever get there, or excuse me, the A's ever get their ducks in a row to do anything. So it seems like the state has spent its money – and the stadium that's being built in Las Vegas, none of it right now looks like a major league baseball stadium. It looks like they're building concert venues and huge arenas. So I, I just don't know if the A's are really going to find a bidder. I mean, you tell me Portland's going to come in in the 11th hour and do this. I, I think that they have played this game of hardball with no real escape hatch to go anywhere. And <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't stop purgatory. I can't stop laughing at Abu Dhabi, and, and here's why. You know, I'm not great with directions, but I lived in San Francisco, and I can get around San Francisco. I can get to North Beach. I can get to the Panhandle. I can get, you know, down to Soma. I know my way around San Francisco. When we come over the Bay Bridge, and you get on the 880, and you see how beat up and run down Oakland is, and that's unfortunate. I wish it was vibrant. Then you look to the right, and you see those Star War-looking things that move the ships in the shipyard and you think that they're going to put a baseball stadium somewhere near that and still have a port and build it with condos like you said beautifully Abu Dhabi and people think like this is going to happen it would take a decade to build what they look like in those renderings Damon it's comical 
I mean, it's comical. The two teams that can't figure out how to open up every concession. I mean, they can't figure out how to sell hot dogs on the 300 level. They seriously can't. They can't get vendors selling hot dogs to the 300 level of the Coliseum because, oh, by the way, the 300 level of the Coliseum is usually unoccupied. So they want a $12 billion construction project, which would officially be the largest ever in the history of Northern California for a team that has trouble selling hot dogs or drawn more than 6,000 fans to a game that Shohei Otani's even pitching in. I mean, it's, it's insane what they have asked for. And the truth is the city of Oakland basically in their vote took a vote that said, well, nothing's really happening. These are all non-bonding agreements, but their vote said, let's keep talking. The A's very much have taken this posture is there's nothing left to talk about. Well, unless they got another option, they're going to be playing at the Oakland Coliseum opening day year 2030, write it down. They got nowhere to go. They're going nowhere fast at all times. Last one for Damon Bruce, 95-7 the game. So you being an IU guy living in Pac-12 country, knowing how the Pac-12 screwed up the Pac-12 network television deal and some of these games don't have vast crowds. And now you hear about maybe Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC for a super con uh, con uh, conference. My concern is this. Why would anybody watch any other college football around the country other than, you know, Michigan versus Ohio State or USC, UCLA? I get that. But if you, you could turn on, on the team. You're sleeping on my up Hoosiers? Transfer well, portal you? Come on, baby. <laughs> you're Hoosiers. Or Purdue. If you can have a choice of watching a full day of SEC power football where it could be Oklahoma LSU in conference Auburn, Texas, LSU versus Alabama in the regular season. Damon, this is one of the biggest stories of both of our careers, of the rich getting richer. It seems like college football on Saturday wants to be the NFL with the SEC. How do you see this? I mean, look, what do you ask me if I'd rather listen to Led Zeppelin or Nickelback? It's <laughs> Zeppelin. You know, I'm taking a Zeppelin. And, yeah, I, I, I love big-time football. I think that the Big Ten deserves any seat at the table in a major football conversation you can have. You know, maybe not top to bottom of the conference, but the end, the, the Big Ten is as top-heavy as anybody. But, yeah, I mean, we see what is happening to the NCAA right now. And if you told me that 10 years from now, everything we understand college football as at this particular moment has morphed into some – 64-team Super League with a television contract unto itself that separates the big boys from the rest, I would not be surprised at all. Unless name, image, and likeness does something to even out the distribution of talent, it feels like that's the direction the sport's been going in anyways. Like, we can all pretend these conferences are sort of even and whatnot, but you're seeing the delineation. There is a I saw this metric the other day that was really interesting. It was about how many blue-chip recruits you recruit. And if you have X amount of blue-chip recruits, you have a shot. If you don't, you simply have no shot. I mean, it's about distribution of talent. Mm -hmm. So, I look, I, I love the NFL just like you. And the steps to the NFL that are taken by players through college, that is the minor leagues. And having said all that and where my attention would be, let me tell you, even though they might be sitting at a 2-6 and six record after eight games, going to a Cal game and sitting in Memorial Stadium and Strawberry Canyon 
is about a beautiful a Sunday afternoon as you can have. So I, I'm not here to tell you that we should eliminate everybody to just do the big boys because mm-hmm. the, the other games are great too. It, not, not everything has to be for the national championship Perfect. for me to be interested. It's, it's, it's That's not what I get into. I love stories. I love sports. I love settings. I love tradition. I love history. But we're seeing more than ever before in our lifetimes that college football isn't just a business. It's one of the biggest businesses in the entire sports world. And there is nothing but ringing the most amount of money and the most amount of exposure in the attention economy that we're now living in. If you broke away with the 65 best teams in the country, of course our eyeballs would follow that. Damon Bruce, fabulous. I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for doing this, buddy. Have a great rest of the summer. Great to join you live from Abu Dhabi. (laughs) Thank you, D. Bruce. His comparison of the Bay Area renderings of Oakland A's new ballpark to Abu Dhabi is one of the greatest lines I've ever heard since I've known him. It just it hit me so hard when he said that. It is. It, the A's are trying to do Abu Dhabi on the water in the East Bay in Oakland. It's the most ridiculous plan you could have, and it's going to take, if they do agree to that, it would take as long. Anybody know how long it took to build Abu Dhabi? I don't know. And maybe someone listening knows on Raider Nation Radio. And now the A's want to come here and play in Henderson? Henderson. I love Henderson. The Raiders are there. I live in Summerlin. I just posted right now at JT the Brick from my home studio. It is pouring. I got the rain coming down at JT the Brick. You're looking live, as Brent Musburger would say, at my home studio as the rain is shelling my house here. But look, the only way the A's would work is if they were on the Strip, just like the Raiders are on the Strip, just like T-Mobile. No one wants to see a domed baseball stadium off the Strip. And if you put it in Henderson, no one's coming from Summerlin. If you put it in Summerlin, no one's coming from Henderson. Stop. And the tourist, you think a tourist is going to leave the Aria and take a cab or an Uber to Summerlin or Henderson to watch a baseball game on a Tuesday night? No, they're going to go to Catch. They're going to go to Carbone. They're going to go to Barry's Steakhouse. They're going to go to all of our favorite restaurants, and they're going to say the hell with it. I don't think it'll work. And it could work, and it could be great. An opening day, the commissioner could be there, and there could be a flyover, and we could have a baseball team here in town. Let's see. Damon Bruce doesn't think it's going to happen. I know that Dave Cavill, who is the president of that team, is a carnival barker, and he is desperate, and he is just screwing over these A's fans. These A's fans are getting so screwed over, and I know some people are just mocking me, saying, listen to him. He's the guy who was up in Oakland, and the Raiders are in Vegas. The Raiders did it hard, man, to get here. It was hard. They lost in Carson. They went back to Oakland. They negotiated. The A's signed the 10-year lease, and it was a miracle, a miracle that they got to Vegas, and Mark Davis pulled it off with Mark Bedane, the former president, and everybody else involved, from then the Governor Sandoval to the late Sheldon Adelson to everybody involved in this great city. It was a miracle that the Raiders got here. If you think about it, you think about Oakland, L.A., Carson, all the money spent, the architects, everybody thinking about it. It's a miracle. Now you look at Allegiant Stadium and you drive by and go, oh, yeah, that's been here a while. Oh, yeah, I just went to Garth Brooks. Oh, and Bobby, crank up the Rolling Stones. You know, I met my wife at a Rolling Stones concert. That was inside the joint, center bar at the Hard Rock. 
And today the Rolling Stones announced that they are coming to Vegas. Cannot believe it, so excited. The Rolling Stones 2021 No Filter Tour to Allegiant Stadium Sunday, November 6th. Pre-sale starts on July 27th for PSL holders and then the public right after that. You think the Rolling Stones play a stadium? No, they play a stadium because we built one. Build it and they will come. And now the Rolling Stones are not playing T-Mobile, which would be nice where I've seen them or the MGM Grand. They're going to play a football stadium, which is going to be amazing. So that is, and I'm going to Guns N' Roses too on August 27th, but all due respect, and Bobby, you would agree to this, all due respect to Guns N' Roses, the Rolling Stones are the biggest band in the world, even though they're old and they're coming to Vegas. And Bobby, I got to think you would think too. I don't want to say the last time, but Charlie, the drummer's at over 80. You got to look at this as the last time or the only time you're going to see him at Allegiant Stadium. Okay, two things. First of all, I've already tried <laughs> to kill them off five times, and they just keep coming back from war. Yes. Charlie will be touring when he's 90, and they'll still be playing. Number two, when they first built Allegiant, what did I tell you? The first, Stones. The, exactly. The first thing I'm going to go see is Rolling Stones. That's, that's what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for a stadium so you can have major concerts like the Stones, Metallica, et cetera. You got it. Uh, build that they will come, and it's here, and we got the Rolling Stones, which is a lot of fun. All right, fun show the rest of the way. We have an NBA guest coming up at the bottom of the hour here, Brian Getzeiler, who's really good, and then Lights Camera Jackson. My buddy Jackson Murphy, who's the film critic, he's going to review a couple of movies, including Space Jam, including Space Jam with LeBron James and some other movies that are coming to the theater. He's great. He's always a good interview. And I want to lighten it up a bit and find out because I'm ready to go to the movies again. We'll talk to him in about 20 minutes on Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by Grimaldi's Best Pizza I Ever Had. Coming back, I was like, this is my city. You know, they trust me, they believe in me. They believed in us, even when we were like, we were lost, the city still was like on our side. And, um, you know, obviously I, want, I wanted to get the job done, you know, uh, they, but that's my stubborn side. Like, it's easy to go somewhere and go and win a championship with somebody else. It's easy. I could go, I, I don't put anybody in the spot, but I could go to a super team and, you know, just do my part and win a championship, still one. But this is the hard way to do it and this is the way. And we did it. Did it. We did it, man. I love that. He took a shot at the super teams. He did. JT brought to you by our good friends at Modelo. Cerveza, the way I love it. A bucket of Modelo's every Friday after the show. Giannis Antetokounmpo was flat out amazing. It was one of the greatest performances in NBA Finals history. Brian Getzala joins us at Hoops Critic, Sirius XM NBA radio host, great friend of the show, always thrilled to talk to him. And Brian, we get you as we put a bow on the season. Put in perspective Giannis's performance and how the Bucks did it. Well, listen, I, I think it, there's a couple things that we have to look at here. First of all, I'm with you, JT. I love that soundbite because it, it's the organic way of doing it. It's something that if you look at the last decade in the NBA, we haven't really seen since LeBron in 2010 said, I'm taking my talent to South Beach. It's been about the assembly of the super team to get you to a title. 
And although Toronto defied that in 2019, there was still a player forcing his way out that got himself there that really catapulted them into that position. Um, so for Milwaukee, the organic route is one that I love, and I think it's terrific. I think Milwaukee did a fantastic job in these playoffs, and I think they had a great NBA final. Um, but there's always a little bit of luck involved, JT, and we have to address that. Listen, if Kevin Durant wears a size 17 shoe instead of a size 18 shoe, they, Milwaukee loses game seven of the second round on a buzzer beater. Okay, it ended up tying the game and putting it into overtime. Milwaukee won in overtime. Now, again, a lot of work got done after that. They beat a, a young game Hawks team. And granted, didn't have Trey Young for a few games. They didn't have Giannis for a few games. Um, this Phoenix team is a really good basketball team. And they did a great job to beat them. They took advantage of the big matchup advantage they had, which was Giannis. And, and in the end, Giannis beat them good. The other thing you have to mention here that's very, very important, there is a, a physical, emotional, and mental toughness to Giannis Antetokounmpo that is unique, that helped lead him to this. Listen, that was, it was a hyperextended knee. That was a bad injury, and it could have been a lot worse. This dude came back to playing at a high level, even the first game back. He came back in a week, had 20 points and 17 rebounds in that first game, even though they lost. But he, and the next game put up 42 in a loss. He came back quick. The free throw shooting has been an issue for him. It's been in his head. He conquered it. And granted, it's easier to conquer in your own building than it is on the road. But 17 and 19, I don't care where you are, is nothing to sneeze at. Giannis, the toughness defines Giannis above and beyond anything else, JT. I agree with you, Brian Gutzeiler, our guest here, NBA TV contributor, hoopscritic.com. So I thought it was big, too, because they gave away two picks for Drew Holiday. They signed Middleton, and they built an arena. So those are four things, and the first one would be the big one. They took Giannis 15th overall. They didn't trade up to get him at number two. You cover the draft as good as anybody. They, they keep showing that viral video of him as a baby, as a little boy saying that he hopes to play in the NBA, and he turns out he could be one of the greatest players of all time. So everything the Bucks did from the draft pick at number 15 to building the arena, Holiday, and obviously paying Middleton, worked that's almost impossible to do in this league it is and it was stuff that wasn't always in everybody's radar and i'll start with this our friend that runs that website freezing cold takes old takes exposed he brings us up every once in a while we'll probably see it next week during the draft no one killed the Giannis pick more than i did um a baby-faced kid coming out of greece that only had grainy film on that a couple of scouts saw in a gym that it was it took amazing vision and the gentleman that did it right now is the general manager of the Orlando Magic, John Hammond, and deserves a lot of credit for making that draft pick. Chris Middleton was a second-round pick that they got for nothing from Detroit and then paid him five years at $70 million and people thought something was wrong with him. And then when he couldn't come through in the playoffs at that number, they doubled down, as you said, and gave him a max contract. And look what he was to this team and look how he developed. That took vision. And the holiday trade, listen, the holiday trade's huge here. And I get it. Drew had some games that he was terrible. So two of the last three games, he went 4-20. He also defended Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but more Chris Paul, in a way that I'm not sure anybody could. And keep in mind, they got Eric Bledsoe off this team to make that trade. And I got to correct you, JT, that was three first-round picks and yeah. two pick swaps for Drew Holiday. They traded most of their future 
for Drew Holiday. Now, granted, they got off the Bledsoe contract, and Bledsoe was a guy that wasn't good for the chemistry of this team. He was a he drained energy out of this group, a quiet, surlyish type of guy that just didn't fit in great with this together, happy-go-lucky group. Drew Holiday ain't that kind of guy, and personality-wise, he fit him really well. The other thing is this: you know, it would have been very easy after two playoff failures to say Mike Budenholzer is not the right coach for this team. They would not do that. They gave Budenholzer a chance. Now, we know that Budenholzer, if they don't go to the finals, this is his last year. And they put his feet to the fire here. They gave him just enough time. And he was able to create a synergy with this group. And to give him credit, too, because his the big criticism of him was a lack of adjusting, right? How about his adjustments? Just not only in terms of rotation-wise and doing things on the fly. One of the things that impressed me the most, Game 5 on the road, he's been tied to Brooke Lopez, you know, the whole season. The last past three seasons, he's been tied to Brooke Lopez. He played Brooke Lopez 19 minutes in that game. He abandoned them in the second half of that game because Portis was the better matchup. He, he went with things and did things in a way that he hadn't done them in the past. Even how he managed minutes. Listen, in previous playoff incarnations where they had gone out early, Giannis averaged 30, 31 minutes, averaged 38 minutes in this NBA final series, and that's coming off a knee injury. I, 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 I just unbelievable job by Budenholzer across the board. So you look at everybody kind of falling into place and doing their job, and the Bucks being patient. And let's face it, one lottery pick on this entire team, and that's Brooke Lopez. is the only lottery pick was, I believe, a number 10 or number 11 pick years ago. It wasn't even their lottery pick. They were able to do this without a lottery pick. And kind of, I'll tell you something. What's interesting about this also, JT, not to get off on a tangent, but they did this parallel to the Sixers and their quote-unquote process. Look at them tanking for high draft picks. Look at Milwaukee trying to build a culture. And look who got to the top of the mountains first. Incredible. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's a great story. Brian Gutzeiler, kind enough to join us. Hey, Brian, finally, we always look at the team that just won the title as obviously the favorite. We do that with the Buccaneers. We did it with Mahomes in Kansas City. We do it with the Dodgers. Do they look like the favorite to you next year? Because most people don't. They think LeBron healthy and Anthony Davis reload. Brooklyn healthy would have beat this team, as you pointed out. Let's wrap it up at where you see this league going and who do you think your favorite is next year to win? I think it's Brooklyn, because I, 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 yeah. I, I think you just said it, JT, and I said it earlier, a healthy Brooklyn team beats this team. Now, the healthy Brooklyn team is a mouthful, because are we actually going to get a healthy Brooklyn team? Because I'll say this, every time I see Kevin Durant take a step in a Team USA uniform, if I am put myself in the position of Joseph Tsai, owner of the Nets, or Sean Marks, or president, I'm cringing. What does he need to be out here for? Guy two years off an Achilles injury. We had a load manage him half the season. We need him on the floor. And here he is playing for Team USA. So a healthy Brooklyn team is a conundrum, to say the least, with Irving's injury history and Harden's history not showing up at training camp in shape, which is going to be huge. And what you're seeing from him so far in the offseason, not sure he's prioritizing that at this point either. So with all that said, I still have to make Brooklyn because we, we, the one thing we have to do is you can't predict injuries. you got to assume everybody's healthy. Everybody healthy, I don't think there's a better team in the league right now than the Brooklyn Nets. The problem is, you saw what happened this year. Teams fell by the wayside. Again, that'll come, JT, 72 games in 145 days. Next year's 82 games in 240 days. Back to a normal schedule. So I do think some of the injuries won't be as severe as what we've seen. With that said, you know, you need to catch breaks sometimes. Milwaukee caught a break with Brooklyn. Sometimes it falls right around you. I don't know that we can count on that again next year going forward. 
Don't worry about that freezing cold take, my friend, because we're in the clickbait business now. So if it pops up. JT, there's a reason I haven't deleted it after all these years. After eight years, I have not deleted that tweet, and nor will I ever. (laughs) Take care, Brian. Good to talk to you. I hope to see you out at NBA Summer League soon, okay? I look forward to it, JT. Take care, buddy. You got it. Brian Katzeiler. We had him booked, obviously, because there could have been a Game 7. So we produced the show out in advance. Bobby does that, and we're able to talk about putting a bow on Giannis. And, yeah, it's really amazing what happened with Milwaukee. Hey, Vegas, we're going to get an NBA team. And how we're going to get one is A-Rod's going to move the Timberwolves or New Orleans is going to move here. Could be Memphis, too. I think Memphis has a little bit more stability. New Orleans has none. And the Timberwolves are a train wreck. No one cares about that team anymore, even there. We'll get a team here in Vegas and pretty soon. Hey, come back. We're going to the movies next. We got some movie reviews for you. And a drive down the right field line toward the pesky pole. Long runner is Arena, and it hits the pole. Three-run homer. J.D. Martinez hits the pesky pole, and the Red Sox lead it 11-2. Well, that's Bobby. He runs the show. He's a Red Sox fan. He always gets in a Red Sox highlight if he can. J.T., back with you. Let's go to the movies. Haven't done this in a while. Lights, camera, Jackson. Jackson Murphy, the Emmy Award-winning film critic, my longtime friend. Good to talk to you. All my listeners want to know about Space Jam 2. Is it worth going to see? Is it a dud? I know you saw it. What do you think? Hi, JT. Thanks for having me back on. Yes, Space Jam, A New Legacy, your number one movie. I saw it a couple weeks ago. If you don't like LeBron, then you should not see it because he dominates this movie more than the Looney Tunes. It's just the first half hour with LeBron. Then Bugs Bunny and the rest of the gang finally show up. There's too much of LeBron. There's too much of Don Cheadle. The animation is nice. The basketball scene towards the end is fun in parts, but I'm a little underwhelmed overall. Wow, underwhelmed because uh, not enough animation early and comparable to Michael Jordan in the original Space Jam. What was the difference? Yeah, the difference here was that this movie takes itself too seriously, which the first film did not. There are a lot of Warner Brothers property movies that are shoved in, and some of the visuals towards the end of some of the characters at the basketball sequence are amazing, but also that LeBron even takes himself too seriously. When he was in Trainwreck six years ago, the Amy Schumer comedy, he had some great dry humor and self-deprecating humor, and it was funny and it was clever and it was sharp. All his lines here are dull. He's just standing around, kind of looking around, not with the right facial expressions. He cannot quite command a movie just yet. Wow, very interesting here. Lights, camera, Jackson, Jackson Murphy, the acclaimed movie critic, started as a young boy with Regis, appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and has come on the radio with Looney and I all those years. We have him on our podcast. I love, I love the previews of old. I'm seeing the previews of old on an island and kids coming back to their moms and they've aged quickly. What is this movie about? It looks fascinating to me. 
Yeah, it's basically that. A family goes to this beach, this resort, this hidden beach area. They're taken to, and all of a sudden, yes, there's a lot of aging going on. It is the latest from M. Night Shyamalan. So you know there's going to be twists and turns and surprises. I watched this movie last night, and it is his best film out of his last six that he's made. It is smart the way he places the camera, the way he brings in the twists and the surprises. Third act, it gets a little tedious, but I like how this movie ends, the payoff. Uh, don't read too much about it going in. Just go. If you're a fan of his, trust me, you will not be disappointed in Old, which opens tonight nationwide. Jackson Murphy, Black Widow. When a Marvel movie comes out, it's always comparable. A female superhero compared to Iron Man. A lot of people are talking about it. I have sons who love Marvel movies. What's the review of Black Widow? The first half is decent uh, with the action scenes and even some more grounded moments between Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh, but that second half is dull, and the, even the visual effects in this are unimpressive, which is shocking considering it's an MCU movie and they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on it, but speaking of hundreds of millions of dollars, it's doing really well at the box office and on Disney Plus as well. Uh, one of the high points of this summer movie season so far, along with F9, The Fast Saga, and A Quiet Place Part 2 at the box office. Lights, camera, Jackson, we have them on to review movies. So tell me a couple other movies that really moved you here, because I know you got back into the movies recently. This is your life. You did a lot of screenings from home. You got through it. You do a lot of interviews over Zoom. And now you're going out to the movies, waiting for big pictures in your hometown, going down to New York City. What other pictures have impressed you? Yeah, uh, a film that impressed me that I did watch at home, but it's in theaters, is Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain, the new documentary on him from Morgan Neville, who won the Oscar for 20 Feet from Stardom, also did Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Fred Rogers movie. I like this Anthony Bourdain movie a lot. It's a tough movie. It's a heavy film, but we really get into what his life was all about, and the people interviewed who just basically tell it like it is when it comes to their experiences with Anthony Bourdain. I have been to the movies uh, five times in this post-COVID era. One to see In the Heights, which I thought was pretty good, uh, and I'm going to see actually uh, Snake Eyes, the G.I. Joe movie tonight. So that'll be my sixth trip to the cinema back after getting the COVID shots. Tell me about Tomorrow War. How was that? Uh, Did we... Oh, we lost him. Oh, Bobby, get him back here quickly. I was waiting on that. And we, we got to get him back on. You can't ask a guy about a movie that you want to see and then all of a sudden lose him. So that is Lights Camera Jackson. Please Google him. Jackson Murphy, please Google him. His story and his rise to success as a young boy film critic and everywhere he's gone on this journey and the late Regis Philbin, it's a really cool story. And every time I go to a movie, I text him. I don't go to a movie. Used to watch Siskel and Ebert back in the day. If they said go, I'd go. If they said the movie stunk, I didn't go. Now I use Jackson Murphy as the guy who tells me if a movie is good or not. 702-365. It must be on his end as this could be a weather issue. Really wanted to hear that. But, hey, I have some sad news, and I just wanted to report that Greg Knapp has passed away. The former Raider coach, the two-time Super Bowl champion coach, the coach who coached Peyton Manning for Denver, was with Atlanta, now the Jets, their passing game coordinator. The news that we didn't want to get from his longtime best friend, Clancy Barone, said, and he put it up on Facebook, the man with me in this photo, great friend of 40 years, college teammate, best friend in the coaching profession. We always made sure our lockers were next to each other. 
during our coaching journey, including two Super Bowls, Napper, one of a kind, more ways than we can count, rest in peace. So it is being reported by several sources that Greg Knapp passed away from his bicycle accident injuries. Uh, That's devastating news. His coaching tree is amazing. He really has a big coaching tree and has a huge effect on a lot of players in this league. So you're going to see a lot of players today tweeting about this. His former players and as more and more NFL insiders are getting the news here. It's just really sad to see. So this is a difficult time. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Got to know Greg Knapp with his years with the Raiders and just a good man. And it's being reported now by his best friend and his colleague and a couple of other sites have picked up on this news here. You can find it on Twitter and prayers go out to the entire family, the Knapp family who has a really good family too and just really sad here. So I just wanted to report that. Didn't want to end the week. And the show on a downer, but that's the breaking news that just broke here about 15 minutes ago as more and more people are talking about Greg Knapp and the impact not only did he have with the Oakland Raiders at the time, but currently with the Jets and all the other teams that he worked with over the years. Very sad news to report on. All right, so what we have lined up is going to be pretty interesting here over the next week. Uh, After this weekend, I'm heading over to the facility. We'll be out in Henderson for a couple of shows next week, working on a special project with the Raiders and a podcast that we're going to announce here pretty shortly on this show. And then the whole lineup here, Vinny Bonsignor, who I know was in Italy, Q, who I want to congratulate as he comes over and joins our lineup. Very excited about that. Uh, Pritch and Clay in the morning and everything that they're doing. And as we build out Raider Nation Radio for this year, which will be the first year that the Raiders play in front of fans, at Allegiant Stadium, and that's going to be really exciting, and a lot of people are looking forward to that. So a lot of news coming up here over the next couple of weeks. I think we did a pretty good job today, and we have been covering this college football story with Oklahoma and Texas potentially leaving and what they're going to do going forward if they end up going to the SEC. And we do have sound that I wanted to play, Bobby. If we have the Jerry Jones sound on the way out. We had Steven, but I want to play Jerry as dad Uh, as Jerry Jones is making the rounds now, as the team is in Oxnard, California, on what's going to happen now, because they're admitting that they should have signed Dak Prescott a little bit earlier, which I said that the whole time. That was obvious to see. And the fact now that they're trying to win a Super Bowl in a division where they have the opportunity to do that. I think the NFC East is primed for the Dallas Cowboys to come back and win and have some home games. Here's the owner of the Cowboys. The biggest swing and miss that you've had because everybody's going to have them, but is there a pick or somebody you didn't sign or somebody you let get away and you look back and you're like, man, that's the one guy that if I could do it over again or one move, I would go and do something a little different? Probably would have uh, signed Dak the first time around. (laughs) Just avoid some of the last couple years. And it would have been better for everybody. Yeah, that was Stephen Jones who said that. That's the son who will eventually take over. For Jerry Jones, here's Jerry Jones, the father, on what it's going to take for this team to win the Super Bowl. I'd do anything known to man to get in a Super Bowl. That's a fact. And uh, uh, there's uh, uh, there's nothing in my mind that can uh, uh, have a higher priority than that. Uh, Jerry is going to be there in Canton, Ohio. Know that for sure. Jerry's got a gold coat now. 
He's a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame where the great Tom Flores is going in along with Charles Woodson and a whole big class along the way. Thanks to Bobby for putting the show together. We got through the weather. We only had one phone ghost today, and the rain didn't knock me off the air. Man, that was a big rainstorm we had out here in Summerlin. Big one. Good, finally. Maybe a little bit more. I haven't seen, I haven't seen rain. I'm, I swear I haven't seen a drop until what just happened. I put the video out of JT the Brick. We got a big week next week lined up. We'll be inside the Raider facility as we count down to training camp and then our trip to Canton, Ohio with Tom Flores. A lot happening here. Keep it going, Raider Nation. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio.